Welcome to Hollywood and Levine, episode 94. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this is part two of my interview with Neil Ross. He is a voiceover guy, a cartoon voice guy, a narrator for Nova. He is also the voice of live events like the Emmys and the Oscars. It is a very specialized field with lots and lots of people trying to break in, but you can make a lot of money if you finally do. I mean, he's got a huge house. Anyway, uh, part one was last week. We talked about radio. If you haven't heard it, After you listen to this week, go back and check that out. This week, we will hear how Neil made the transition from radio to television. And first, I want to give you a sample of what he sounds like. So this is his commercial demo. And then part two, my talk with Neil Ross on Hollywood and Levine. There are a lot of maybes in life. Some are really fun to think about. Like the maybe I'll win the Super Lotto Plus jackpot, maybe. Super Lotto Plus. It's your dream. Play it. The finest Hoover Upright. The wind tunnel has just gotten its second wind. A new medical frontier is opening using the same DNA technology as forensic science, enabling you to change your lifestyle habits and help reduce that risk of disease. In the Lexus ES300, there are over 96 systems and components specifically designed to isolate vibrations. Chamonix is more than a place. It's an attitude. Budweiser. Brewery fresh taste. Strictly enforced. Great cheese comes from happy cows. Happy cows come from California. They come from beyond cyberspace. A viral nightmare turning computers into slaves. All right, fourth and goal. They've broken the huddle. Spar stepping up to the line, set back in motion. Here's the snap. He drops back under pressure, scrambling. Spar's flushed out of the pocket. He's got a receiver in the corner of the end zone. Here's the throw. Snickers play for peanuts. Eat Snickers, win money. And players are not responsible for prizes. Another rollback saves the day by saving you even more. Walmart, always low prices, always. Example policy is Lincoln GTO, 10-year preferred best policy form LBT 100 series issued by the Lincoln National Life Insurance Company, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Rates increase annually after the initial 10-year guarantee period to age 95. Products and features are subject to state availability. Not available in Florida, Hawaii, South Dakota, and New York. LLA 0407-0596. Well, I always said about radio that uh, the only way I could get respect in radio was to get out of it. (laughs) (laughs) And... Yeah. You sort of uh, followed the same path. We obviously went in different directions. Yeah. But uh, talk a little bit about your transition from being a disc jockey to being a voiceover guy. Well, it's uh, try to hone it down. I had always fooled around with voices and accents. But in, in the context of being a disc jockey, it never quite seemed to work. And periodically, people in positions of authority would sidle up to me in the hallway and say something like, Geez, I love those little voices you do. You know, you do those little voices that really makes me laugh. Ah, uh, could you do me a favor? Yeah, what's that? Don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I got shut up and play the records. You're not funny. The, I the, got that all the time. The only success I seemed to really have in radio was in the production studio where I made commercials and promos and people unreservably were thrilled with the stuff I would come up with. And I found myself becoming curious <clears throat> about... Uh, the people who were voicing national television commercials, the people who were voicing national radio commercials that came into the station from the big agencies in L.A. and New York. 
and the people doing cartoon voices and the people narrating documentaries. I thought, who are these people, as mm-hmm. Seinfeld would say? And I developed a theory, well, maybe they're on-camera people who do this on the side, which I'm sure some of them were. Well, now you do have a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Not back then, though. Well, yeah, not really. But anyway, in 1970, I discovered this business called voiceovers existed. And the second I discovered that, I thought, this is really where I belong. If I sat down and tried to think of a perfect job for me, it would be voiceovers. Mm -hmm. And I got to figure a way to get in this business now that I know it exists. It took me another 10 years to get off my lazy duff and do anything about it, but I finally did. And I felt like, wow, yeah, this is where I should be. It's as though I compare it. Disc jockey work is like driving a cab. Voiceovers is like driving in the Indy 500, as far as I'm concerned. Both jobs involve driving. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) other than that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're very different. So um, being a track announcer is what? That's a Lyft driver? What, what would that be? I don't know what be? the hell. A rickshaw that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very hard from what I understand, especially for radio guys to make the transition because the last thing they want is a radio announcer. Well, there is a, there's a radio read uh, the late, uh, uh, much-revered Dawes Butler, who was a very famous voice actor, mm-hmm. he called it the cosmetic read. It began to... Well, it, there used to be a ton of live copy in radio, and then a generation who uh, hadn't paid attention in English class showed up, and they couldn't <laughs> read the live copy, so more and more of it got pre-recorded. <laughs> but you still did a fair amount of it, and you... Just, I guess, to survive, you develop this read that is smoothly professional, and everybody says, boy, that really sounds good, but is it believable? Not a bit, because it's a radio read, and I can be reading this piece of copy, and it sounds just fine, and I'm thinking now, I get out of this dump about six, I'll go over to Bob's Big Boy, and then I'll call so-and-so, and And meanwhile, you're reading this thing. Right, and the listener thinks, you know, it just sounds sounds fine. You have no idea what you're reading. Yes, I know that well. The people that make commercials, that is the last thing they want. They want someone who sounds not like an announcer. They want someone, to a greater or lesser degree, who sounds like a real person imparting important information to a close, uh, trusted friend. Communicating again, one-to-one. Exactly, exactly. And after years and years of doing it like this, it's very difficult for uh, radio guys to make the turn. I was just at a luncheon, and I talked to a long-time disc jockey. He's finally retired, but I mean, a wonderful radio career. He said, oh, I tried that stuff. I went to one of those uh, workshops, and uh, they said, you sound like an announcer. And I said, well, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do about that. I, I, so I dropped out, and I thought, well, you know, uh, you can't get into voiceovers because you think it'll be fun and you'll make a lot of money. You, you, you have to almost be called by it, I think which is, I was. To me, it was, I felt every bit as much passion as I had felt 20 years earlier in, when I started to get into radio. It was like I, I lived it and breathed it. It wasn't just a way to make a fast buck. Well, there's no fast bucks to make because, number one, it's really hard to break into. Number two, you really do have to put in the time and effort mm-hmm. and workshops and... Um, 
So you did for a number of years, which in a way is kind of humbling when you're a major market disc jockey. And at the time, you were at KMPC Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. was a huge major radio station. And yet you're, you know, the the newbie when yeah. when it came to that. It was a strange. It was a strange period. You're putting it exactly right. I in the radio station. I'm a grizzled old veteran. And then when I went out in the street to do voiceovers, and in those days it was a lot of the big successful talents were older, <clears throat> not like now. Most of the successful guys were in their fifties and sixties. So to them, I was this new kid who was just starting. The kid who was thirty eight at the time, but uh-huh. that was young in those yeah. days for voiceovers and. Uh, yeah, I, I I remember the first time somebody suggested I do a workshop, driving home on the freeway and alternating between the hell with him, what does he know, I'm a major market disc jockey, and then, come on, who are you kidding? Uh, if you really want to do this, you've got to humble yourself and go back to being a beginner. Essentially, reinvent yourself. And I'm very glad that when I finally got home and pulled into the driveway, I had decided to to take the workshop and do whatever I had to do. Did you take acting classes too? I did take one acting class. I was horrible at it. (laughs) But I did learn a little something from it. And then I took a number of animation workshops, which is acting of a a sort. Uh, And I don't mean that in a in a patronizing way. My, I, I was just talking to my daughter last night, and she was talking about some show she saw where they had used celebrities. And she said, you know, Dad, I can hear the pros in the background. They have small parts. Mm-hmm. But these people, it's just not working. And I said, it's because it's a little bit of a different animal. These are on-camera people. They're used to so much of their body and their face doing the work. Right. And now they're in a situation where all they can hear is that voice. And you have to bring a little something extra to it. And you don't just walk into a studio and know how to do that. Uh, I would tell any celebrity, George Clooney on down, you really want to do animation, take a workshop. Maybe private, you know. Mm-hmm. But get with somebody good and put do your homework. <clears throat> it, it, it's similar to if you're a stage actor and suddenly you're trying to do a movie or a television show there're just certain little tweaks yeah no there's that you a need big, to be aware of big difference yeah. between having a camera 7 inches from your nose mm-hmm. and having to project to the back of the music center the acting class that I took, one of the valuable moments was we had an older guy in there. I don't know why he was taking a class. Well, he was one of these dedicated actors who never stops trying to learn. Mm-hmm. But he was very, very accomplished. And the teacher said, I want to show you folks something. So he said, George, would you mind sitting in a chair and doing the monologue? He says, all right, first shot out of the box, do it stage. And he did. A stage performance. Right. Now do a movie performance of this monologue. And it went down about 50%. And he, no, I said, do television. It went uh-huh. down about 50%. He said, now, do major motion picture close-up. We could barely hear him. Uh-huh. And his facial expressions were almost invisible to us in the seats. But I guarantee you, if there'd been a Panavision camera on him, it would have been marvelous. And I thought, and that was a real eye-opener for me. I thought, I, oh, I see, I see. Yeah. Yes, of course. Because that stage performance shot in close-up on a big screen, he'd look like a lunatic. 
And you have to be aware of that. And I'm sure there's a million other little things. You, you have yeah, to... I remember I was directing a sitcom that starred Nathan Lane. Mm-hmm. And Nathan was so used to the stage yeah. that his performance was very big. And it was difficult for me because I'm going, God, uh, how do I tell... Nathan Lane, the guy has Tony Awards. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy's been directed by Mike Nichols. How do I tell Nathan Lane? Yeah, dial it back a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. the cameras are going to be right over here. Yeah, yeah. I uh, know it's it is a, a different animal. How important is the voice itself? It depends on which area of the business you're going for. Uh, if you're going to do movie trailers, you have to have uh, what I call the obscene phone call voice these days. It's, <laughs> you know, coming soon to a theater near you. What are you wearing? Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's... And, of course, Don LaFontaine. I don't know if people remember him, but he, he pretty much owned it for a while. In a world. And he... Yeah, exactly. That's the guy. And he was uh, uh, very talented and very, very good at what he did. But uh, if he had not had that extraordinary voice, he simply would not have had that career. No, no matter how good his read was. But then you get into, like, other products that you're selling, and they want an every man or every woman sound. So a guy who, you know, you know, I uh, went down and I... Uh, fine. They're, they're, they're perfectly fine with that. And, of course, if you're going to work animation... Uh, you have to be versatile with your voice. You've got to be able to go high, and you've got to be able to go low, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll, it'll, you know, certain jobs where they say, well, we want the in-a-world guy... <laughs> go, why did you call me? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but as I say, it, it just depends on what the project is. But it is not mandatory. Okay. So there's a chance for me to oh, sell Taco Bell. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Just, yeah. All you got to do is beat out those 500 other guys. That's right. <laughs> no problem. Which brings me to rejection. Uh, you audition over and over and over again. Uh how do you deal with what is constant rejection, even in a successful career? It's kind of like, you know, the ball player mm-hmm. that hits 300 and he makes out 70% of the time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. How do you deal with that? Because it's constant. Well, you just, uh, the best advice I ever got, I can't remember who told me this, but it was wonderful advice. He or she said, do the audition as if it's a job. And then forget about it as quickly as possible. Because if you sit around and obsess over these things, you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy. In, in the book, I mentioned that I, I kept records pretty much my whole uh, voiceover career, just calendars that I would write on. But I mm-hmm. could go back and I could see how things were going. When I was absolutely red hot, the best part of my career, I would average one job for every 11 auditions. Well. Wow. And that's the best, that's as good as it ever got. Mm-hmm. And I have had periods where I've gone over 100 auditions without booking a job. And it's hard not to beat up on yourself. Yeah. So also, I, is it difficult? You audition for something, you don't get it. 
Then you see the commercial on TV and you go, really? That's the guy they used? Well, you know how many many voice artists it takes to change a light bulb? No. One. The other 11 stand around going, why did they pick him? I can do that. (laughs) Now, what happens to me is... Do you get bitter? (laughs) You try. Not, Not too much. I'll be sitting watching television, and I haven't gotten to the remote yet, so the sound is up on the commercial. Right. And I'll suddenly think, oh, my God, I'm psychic. I know what he's going to say next. I, uh-huh. I, 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 It's deja vu. And I'll suddenly realize, oh, I read for that three months ago. <laughs> and I, obviously, I didn't get it. Right. <laughs> and you never hear why or anything. You just no. you get a call saying you booked it. Otherwise... Nothing. So you don't know whether they said, I don't like his reading, I don't like his voice, he talks too fast, uh, or tired of using him, he sounds too much like this guy. You have no idea when you don't book, why? Not a clue. Not a clue. There's never any feedback. It's why would they bother? And I've been told by people who've been in those meetings, it's like uh, lawmaking and sausage making. You don't want to be there. Sometimes the decisions are so irrational. I have talked to people who run casting services, and I've said, do the buyers end up picking the person you would have picked? And, and she, on a couple of occasions, they've said to me, no, absolutely not. In, in, in a lot of cases, they pick the worst person, somebody <laughs> we, were, we weren't even going to send because we thought they were so bad, and that's who they want. Uh-huh. So it, it really is no reflection on you. But it's hard not to take it personally. As I said, you, you look at the calendar, you go, my God, I've done 100 auditions and nothing. What's going on here? So you audition for something, you don't hear, and all of a sudden, two months later, you book the gig, and you go in, and you go, what did I do for this particular audition that they liked? I have, I have uh, developed... A pretty good amnesia when it comes to auditions. Either that or my brain is going sour on me. But uh, lately I will get a call or an email. Hey, you booked the blah, blah, blah. And I'll go, the what? Did I, <laughs> did I read for that? Yeah, don't you remember? No, no, it's all gone. It's all gone. <laughs> and you just hope the hell that they've, got a re- they've brought the audition with them, the buyers, and they can play it for you. Yeah. And they go, oh, yeah, that. I remember now. I remember. But, but sometimes they don't. And it's, remember that wonderful read you did six months ago? Duplicate that. <laughs> Do you have it? Well, no. <laughs> don't you have it up there in your head? No, I don't. Yeah, and you've done... F- 450 things since. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got to do the Academy Awards. Wow. How yeah. did that come about? That was just a wonderful thing that semi f- fell out of the sky. The I guess they were looking for a, a, a male voice because they it was actually a, a two-person announcing team that year, and uh, they kept Randy Thomas, who had already done it for, I think, five years running. And they were looking for a fella to pair her up with, and I was invited to audition for the job, and I went, and I thought, you know, this is going to be one of the many, many occasions where I won't hear back. Right. And then they said, well, you made the call back, which is sort of like a runoff in an election. You know, it's down to five or six people. Okay. Or as I say, it's down to me and the guy they're actually going to pick. (laughs) You sure you're not Jewish? (laughs) (laughs) I may be. Anyway, I showed up to do this, and the guy who was going to direct the show, this remarkable, fascinating, colorful guy named Louis J. Horvitz, 
Uh, he was running the audition. He said, what I'm going to try to do is duplicate what's going to happen the night of the show. You're going to have to make an announce with me screaming in the headphones. Not at you. I'm screaming at camera guys, but you can't let it distract you. So I'm in there reading, it's the golden jubilee of Oscar, the 75th celebration. In the phones, I'm hearing Louis J. going, camera one, give me a shot of Meryl Streep. Camera two, uh, get the podium. Where's camera three? You know, and, uh, and somehow I got through it. And uh, I thanked him, and um, then he he said, uh, wait a minute, I know you, and th- you'll like this story. He says, you used to work with Bob. I'm like, Bob? Who the, who's Bob, you know? And he said, you know, at the radio station, KMPC. I thought, oh, he's talking about Robert. Robert W. Morgan. W. Morgan, mm-hmm. who you didn't call Bob, as I understand <laughs> yes, it. Yes, you got you into trouble for that. Yeah, once, he almost beat you? me up. Yeah, <laughs> but apparently Lewis—he was not on roller skates either. Apparently, Louis J. Horvitz gets to call him Bob, and uh, Bob had worked for Louis J. on a show called Solid Gold, and he and uh, Louis J. had listened to KMPC on and off since he was a kid. And he remembered me when I followed Robert W. Morgan. So he said, you have a radio background. You've been live. This will help. And it turned out I understood what he meant later on when I did the job. Yeah. Because most voiceover people have never been live unless they were in the radio business. You know, you roll in and I might nail this on take seven. Right. Well, not when you're live. You (laughs) nail it on take one. How terrifying was that? It was probably... uh, the most frightening, one of the most frightening things that's ever happened to me, that last half hour before we went on the air was just torture. You just sit there picturing every damn fool thing you can screw up and, and it's, and it's going to happen worldwide. Yeah. In 40, 50 million people. In front of an audience of the cream of Hollywood. Right. They're all sitting there. Right. And... And you just think, why the, how the hell did I get into this situation? And, <laughs> and uh, thank God we got through it. I don't think we fouled anything up uh, that I'm aware of. Uh-huh. But boy, I'll tell you, it, it's, as I said, it was one of the most frightening things that's ever happened to me. So where is the announcer's booth? Huh? Are you like in a <laughs> little closet somewhere? Where are you? Well, I... You picture all kinds of things in your mind when you say the announcer for the Academy Awards. And yeah. You picture yourself in a tuxedo, uh, perhaps just off stage or in some magnificent uh, uh, sound studio <laughs> Boot, <yeah>. somewhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were in an improvised uh, announce booth that they had built into the back of a sound truck that was in the parking lot adjacent <laughs> to what was then the Kodak Theater. Uh-huh. We were not actually, so you weren't even in the theater? We were not in, in the theater. Right. We, we had TV monitors. We could see what uh, whatever was going on the air. Right. Uh, but no, we were uh, and and uh, we were so far from any of the restrooms that they had put porta potties out because <laughs> we were not the only people back there. There were the satellite people, and I don't know who all. There were a number of vehicles and parked there, and a number of people. So we had these four porta potties for our convenience. And my wife, uh, a couple of days in, said, "So, what's it like working the Academy Awards?" I said, "It's, it's like camping with the uh, movie stars thrown in." <laughs> 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 
So let's talk a little bit about the book, Vocal Recall, Life in Radio and Voiceovers. What prompted you to write the book? Well, I did an appearance. Uh, there's a wonderfully, wonderfully talented guy named Rob Paulson. He's probably best known for uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Animaniacs. He was in both of those shows. And he does a podcast called Talkin' Tunes, and sometimes he takes it on the road. Tunes, T-O-O-N-S. Sometimes he okay. takes it on the road. So he wanted to do a night saluting the show Transformers at the Improv. And he asked me if I would do it, and I said, oh, the Improv? Like, <laughs> I'm no comedian. I can't do jokes. Right. No, no, it'll be fine. And I showed up, and boy, I had a wonderful time because it was filled with fans of the show, and anything, you know, any little story I could tell, they just loved it. I said, boy, that was fun. And I thought, maybe if I wrote a monologue, half hour, something like that, and then a half hour Q&A, and I could book an hour somewhere. And uh, so I start writing this monologue. And at a certain point, I realized, this ain't no monologue. This is becoming a book. Mm -hmm. And then it was, could I actually write a book? Uh, which I never thought I could, but well, you did, and yeah, it's a really fun yeah. book too. Thank you, yeah. thank you. I hope so. Yeah. I, I didn't want to. That, then I did this, then I did that because I read so many of those, and it's so annoying. It's 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 not what you did, but how you did it, and what happened when you did it. To me, is what makes it interesting. Right. And you talk about the ups and downs. It's mm -hmm. not a book that just you know glorifies yourself. And then I went to. Uh, Coral and uh, had the greatest ratings there ever, and uh, they didn't appreciate me. And um, <laughs> then I went to KMPC. I saved that radio station. Uh, a lot of these kind of books are, I but yours is not. I, well, you're, you're you're pretty candid and honest about the ups and the downs. Yeah, well, because in my case, it was a lot of downs. It's mm -hmm. uh, I. Uh, an old friend of mine who had a wonderful radio career, I remember him saying to me at, at a certain point, I was telling him what was going on with me, and he just said, you have the worst luck of anybody I know. And shortly after he said that, things started to turn around for me. But boy, yeah, I seemed there was a period there where I just couldn't make a right move. And uh, well, as the bard says, there's a tide in the affairs of men. And uh, the tide was not turning in my direction at that point. But. Yeah. Uh, those, those cabs were driving by and you were thinking, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Do I need to get my medallion again? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, looking back, <clears throat> I was, I'm so grateful to the younger me for making the decision to do voiceovers and following through on it. Because if I'd stayed in radio, my, the end of my story, I think, would have been very, very unhappy. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, once deregulation happened in the 90s, the business we knew, not that it was that great to start with, right. but it went away. And yeah. What replaced it was just yeah. ridiculous. We actually be driving cabs. I, I would, I know. <laughs> well, this is great. The book, again, is called Vocal Recall, Life in Radio and Voiceovers. Neil, this was great. Let's do this again. May I give the boys and girls the uh, uh, internet address? Oh, you should they, absolutely may. Should they be curious about the book? Uh, there's a website. You can actually download a PDF of the uh, 
table of contents in the first five chapters to discern whether or not I can write. And that's uh, www.neilbook.com, N-E-I-L book.com. Now, are you going to do the audio book and are you going to actually voice it or... You know, you're going to let me voice it for you. Well, I, I, you know, I wish I'd known you were available, but it's already done <laughs> oh. by, by me, although I won a highly competitive audition to get that job. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was totally impartial. It's available in print, it's Kindle, it's PDF, it's audio. If there's some other format I'm not aware of, I'll record it in that. Yeah, he'll come and read it for you live. Actually, he'll yes. He'll sit in the back seat. I will read, I will read to you in bed the entire <laughs> book. It's a million dollars, but I only need one customer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly long book, though, so... You know, you're going to have to be there at least three or four nights. That's all right. That's okay. For a million dollars, you're a Just have the check ready. (laughs) Thanks very much, Neil. Thank you, Ken. I very much appreciate it. I'd plug the book again, but that would be overkill. Thanks so much to Neil Ross, also to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, and to Howard Hoffman. Should you wish to get in touch with me, and I will write you back, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Once again, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Follow me on Twitter, won't you? At Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And I would sure love a five-star or even a ten-star review. It would just make me very happy. That'll do it for this week. Back with more next week. Thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you then. Bye-bye.